Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 1st, 2019, we continue our series titled Genesis in the Beginning. Today's sermon, Be Careful Who You Listen To, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Genesis chapter 16. Enjoy. Last week, Jeff walked us through Genesis chapter 15 And we really got to see this incredibly amazing picture of God's grace in the Old Testament. You know, so many times people will look and say, well, you know, I like the God of the New Testament. I really don't like the God of the Old Testament. He seems mean. And yet the the, the biggest picture, the most amazing picture you can find is the Abrahamic covenant. And this this wonderful picture of God extending his grace. And, And I'd encourage you to go back and study that. But also when we looked at chapter 15, we saw the fact that God reiterates to Abram He's still not Abraham yet. But he reiterates to Abram, you're going to have a son, an heir. And this son is not going to be a distant cousin or a nephew. This is a son that you are going to sire. This is going to be an heir that's going to come as a result of what you and Sari, your home, your wife, what you're going to produce. Now, that's a big deal. That's huge. I mean, for any couple in those days, you know, in in ancient times like that, to hear that they're going to have, you know, an heir would be the biggest thing they could possibly imagine. I mean, back in those days, you didn't have Social Security, you didn't have welfare, you didn't have 401Bs, and you didn't have IRAs, you didn't have anything. What you had is you had children. And if you had an heir, that meant somebody was going to love you and take care of you, you know, all the days of your life. And so they're pretty excited about that. The problem is that we'll see here in verse 16 is that Abram and Sari are getting kind of long in the tooth in that whole childbearing thing. They're getting old. And that presents some problems. One of the things that the story will make clear to us is Sari begins to feel the pressure, the responsibility to go out and produce an heir. Now that's not something that God had actually laid on them. There was no place in there that says, okay, here's your responsibility. Go make a child. It doesn't say that. But they're feeling that. They're certainly feeling the pressure. In fact, you know what's interesting? The only command that they ever got from God was to leave Ur. Leave that place where I have you, and I'm going to take you to a new place that you don't know yet. And then along the, uh, along the way in chapter 12, it tells us that God guided them and he told them he'd make a great nation out of them and he'd bless the whole earth through them. But there was no mention in that whole thing of producing a child. God is going to provide this child. The problem is that's gonna require faith from them. And not moments of faith. It's gonna require years of faith. See any difficulty in any of that? Imagine God asking you to have faith about something and wait on him for a period of years. See the the problem here? Learning to wait, learning to trust, wondering when God is gonna move, wondering if this is the time that I'm supposed to step out. I mean, when am I supposed to act? 
And who do I listen to in all this thing? Because I'm surely gonna have voices around me all over the place telling me, well, do this. Another one says, do this. Who do you listen to? That's really what we're gonna be talking about this morning. Now, we'll tell you that this, concept, this story also has consequences that we live with still today in the Middle East. Now, the passage here is gonna start off in chapter 16 here in verses one and two with the problem of listening to the wrong voices. Let me start, let me read this here. Verse one, it says, and now Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sari said to Abram, behold now, the Lord is preventing me from bearing children. Go unto my servant, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sari. Now, I see three problems here that take place in the first two verses, okay? The first problem that I think here that that shows up here is sort of a societal pressure, a societal pressure. Verse one starts off by saying, now Sari, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You gotta understand the significance here of a statement like that. I mean, the pressure that she had to be thinking. Everybody around her is thinking, well, how come you're not having children? I mean, you're married to a guy that his name is the father of many, and you got none. What's going on with you? In that time, there was this weird you know, uh, societal kind of pressure there that, that basically says that a woman's job is to build a home. Man's job, go kill something, bring it home, or you know, grow something up and, and do all those things, protect the family, but the woman's job is to keep spitting out babies. Now, by the way, I'm not, I want to be really clear here so I don't get any emails. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Okay, can I just say that? But it's what they lived with. It's what Sari is feeling at this point. Verse one gives you that tension that she is feeling immediately. This is how she is described. She has born Abram no children. That's how she's known. Now the second problem here has to do with our humanity. You know, a big part of our humanity is that when something happens that's wrong or or bad or we don't understand or how it all fits together, we tend to look at that and look for someone to blame. Whose fault is this? In verse two here, you'll see that Sari basically blames God. Now she'll say, what she actually says here is actually a true statement, but it's how she says it. It comes out of hurt and it comes out of embarrassment and as a result, there's no honor in this. There's no sense of respect that God is doing something greater that she doesn't really understand. There's just desperation and it comes out a little snarky. It's an important thing for us to remember here that you know too often when things don't happen exactly the way we want them to happen, or exactly in the timing that we want them to happen, that we begin to blame God and question him. Question his love for us, his care for us, his concern for us. The truth is here is that God was preventing her at this time from giving birth, but there was a really important reason for that to happen. Keep your finger here in Genesis, and I want you to go back to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right in there. Galatians chapter four here, Paul writes and he says this. 
Starting in verse 22, he says, for it is written that Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman, that was the woman that the Pharaoh of Egypt gave to their family, and one by the free woman, that would be Sari, his wife. He says, but the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, and the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. So what's going on here basically is this. The reason why God is preventing them from having this child at this time is God wants them to be really incredibly clear about the fact that this baby that's going to be born is gonna be born way years after your ability to actually produce a child. This is going to be a miracle baby. Not as a result of your works, not as a result of the fact that you like each other and been married for a long time, no. Now there's a third problem here, and that is not waiting on God. At this point, you have to understand that Ceri's emotions here and her logic are gonna be fully integrated. It is impossible for her to walk through at this point and make a, a, any kind of a, a judgment about what she's supposed to do here without feeling the intense pressure that she's under. Not only is she feeling this pressure, but she's also wondering why God is preventing her from being pregnant, and so she begins to try to figure out a way to make this happen. Very often, that's what happens here when the you know, the plans of a sovereign God conflict with my own personal desires. We start figuring out, how do I make this happen? What do I do? Now, in the midst of all this, verse two also tells us she's feeling a, a sense of pressure here to sort of save face. Look what it says. Go back to verse two. It says, so Sari says to Abram, behold now, the Lord is preventing me from bearing children. Go into my servant that I may obtain children by her. She's trying to figure out, how do I make this work? How do I, you know, she's worried about the perception that's out there. How do I get this child? Now, by the way, it was totally common in that culture for a female servant to become a sort of a second wife for the purposes of bearing children. Not that that's a good thing, and not that God, you know, sponsored that anyway, but it happened in that particular culture. For example, you're familiar with the story in Genesis 30. I mean, we're not there in the passages yet. But if you're familiar with the story here of a guy named Jacob, Jacob is one of the patriarchs, okay? Jacob goes, he leaves his home after a bad altercation with his brother Esau. He goes to a place where his uncle or cousin, you know, Laban is at, and he goes to work for Laban. And Laban says, hey, uh, what do I have to give you to come work for me? And he says, if you'll give me your daughter Rachel as my wife, I'll work for you for seven years. And so he goes and does that. But Laban is kind of a, a, a shyster kind of a guy and he tricks him and ends up with Leah instead of Rachel. And he ends up working then for both of them to try to marry both of them, which again is not God's plan at all, but it happened. Now, in the process of this, this competition between the two and the idea of producing more and more sons in this whole process, both of these women end up giving their maidservants, Zilpah and Bilhah, uh, don't name your sister or your daughter those things, okay? Th th they give them to, you know, to uh, Jacob and he fathers a couple of more sons to each one of those. Now, in this whole process, Jacob is a guy that produces here 12 sons. Now let me tell you why that's really important. 
because at one time he stops and has this encounter where he wrestles with this angel, Jesus. And at the end of it, they change his name from Jacob to Israel. So Israel has 12 sons. The 12 sons of Israel became the 12 tribes of Israel. Four of those tribes, Gad, Naphtali, Dan, and Asher, were not mothered by a Hebrew. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? So she has all these, he has all these children here. Four of them don't have that, that Hebrew lineage that comes through the mom there. And the reason why that was totally acceptable was because it was the normal custom of the land. It's what everybody did. I mean, if you were to go back and read the Code of Hammurabi or the Newsy tablets, this is exactly what everybody did at that time. Totally normal. And so what Sarah Sari here is proposing to Abraham wasn't weird at all in the culture. Which, by the way, this is a really important lesson for us. Just because culture says something is okay does not make it okay biblically. But the culture here says, hey, this is fine, totally normal, go ahead and do it. No one would have even given it a second thought. No one would have even looked here. Now verse two keeps going here and it tells us that Abraham stopped and he listened to his wife. This is a landmine I'm not gonna walk into right now, okay? Let me just say this. The word here for listened here in the Old Testament is the same word as obey. Now, the reason why this is an issue is because it's only mentioned once before and that is in Genesis chapter three, verse 17 when it says that Adam listened to the voice of his wife. Now, what he didn't do was what Abram doesn't do here and what Adam didn't do is protect his wife. Now we'll come back around to that in just a few minutes here. The bottom line here is there are consequences that go along with these choices here. And in verses three through six, you see the second part of that. You see the consequences of obeying the wrong voices. Look at verse three. It says, and so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sari, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when, he, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sari said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I, give my servant, I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to, Abram said to Sari, behold, your servant, it is in your power to do to her as you please. And then Sari dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So the promise here, God's promise of an heir doesn't seem to be happening here. And we get this 10-year window here of it's not happening here. And so Sari comes up with her own plan for obtaining an heir. I will use the local custom. Her maid. And so she asked Abram to produce an heir from her maid, which at that point made her maid a wife. Now, this would have been second tier with the express purpose of, of bringing more children into the situation, but no matter how you look at it, it brings up an incredibly ugly situation in the Bible, and that was polygamy. Never God's plan. 
Never God's idea. But it seemed to happen in certain places. I mean, if you go back to Genesis chapter one, you'll see that marriage was always just to be about one man and one woman, period. I mean, Adam certainly didn't have, you know, multiple wives. Polygamy is something that just seems to come along and cause pain and division and wound. But before we get really mad at him here, I want you to go back and I want you to remember something. I want you to remember the pressure that Suri is feeling. The societal pressure that she's feeling disgraced. Clearly, this is a moment of, of psychological struggle for her. She knows in her heart that God has already appeared to her husband twice here and told him, you're gonna have this child here, but the 10 years has gone by and the child hasn't come along. What do I do? Now, the reason why the 10-year thing matters is because in those days, the rabbis came up with a a set of rules that that allowed the people to live by. It was sort of their interpretation of what the Bible was actually saying. And one of those rules was that if you marry a woman and she doesn't give you a child in 10 years, you're, you're obliged to go marry another so you can produce children. Now, I don't think there's any chance at all that Sari does not know that law. 10 years has gone by. She has to be going crazy at this point. Am I letting God down? I mean, did God not say we're gonna have a son and it's not happening? God, are you mad at me? Am I holding my husband back? I mean, he's 85 years old at this point. She was 75. You see the emotions that would be flying around through all of this? How difficult it can be to learn to have faith? I mean, this was a faith moment for them. And after going through the passage, I'm gonna be honest with you, I personally think they both meant really well. But what you realize is it's not easy to trust and wait. Sometimes it doesn't make sense because sometimes it makes sense, well, what about this option? Both of them are getting older by the day. They have to be thinking, we gotta make something happen here. We gotta do something. I mean, it's just easy to get confused. Now, what was my part again in this whole thing? And what was God's part again? I mean, you can see how they must have been thinking, gotta do something. Sari here is hearing the voices in her life around her, the societal voices saying, you gotta do something. She's hearing her own fears that maybe she's somehow letting God down and, and not following through the way she should do, to do this thing. And Abraham is probably hearing maybe the same kinds of things, but now it says he's also listening to his wife, Sari, talking about her own desperation. Could you produce a child with this woman for me? It's just easy to me to imagine in your mind how you think this could all somehow work together when you look and you see it's not happening and you look over and it looks like there's an option there available. And as ugly as it sounds, Sari was an option. Or excuse me, Hagar was an option. You know, as I studied this, I gotta be honest with you, I wrestled a lot with this whole thing because... I personally have always sort of taught that God works through open doors. And then I read this passage and this story and what really hit me was the mistake that was made here was an open door. At this point, 
what God was simply asking him to do is wait. That's what I'm asking you to do. Wait. This is supposed to be the child of promise. This is gonna be the miracle, baby. I'm asking you to wait. Don't open, don't just go into the open option out there because you think I'm not paying attention, that I'm listening, but I'm asking you to wait. You see, God's timing on this stuff is way different than ours. Isaiah chapter 55, verses eight and nine make this so clear. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, we don't see it the way God always sees it. We tend to see it in terms of the pressure that I'm feeling right now. You notice here, it's so interesting in this whole thing, with all the pressure that they're under, if you look at the first six verses, you know what the one thing they don't do is? They don't pray. They don't stop. I mean, this is a guy, Abram is a guy that at points in his life, he would stop and he would literally go out and build an altar to the Lord. But this would have been a great time for them to simply go out, build an altar to the Lord, and for him to stop and make a sacrifice there somehow, or just get on his knees and ask God, what are you saying here? But it doesn't happen. There's no sense of him fasting and, and, and showing God, I'm so serious about this, I'm gonna actually pause from eating for a period of time, you know, during this time, just so I can, you know, as those pains come in my stomach, I'm reminded to stop and get on my knees and pray. There's no sense that they go out and they find godly counsel and people that they knew that followed the Lord and walked with the Lord around them and seek counsel out from the Lord and ask, what do I do in a situation? Which, by the way, I'll just tell you this. It's probably one of the best reasons there is for you to get into a small group. Because inevitably, moments like this in life come, and you know what? There's too many voices in our lives. We need some voices in our life that will talk Bible into us, that will speak good things, people that will love us and maybe even say the hard things to us, but people that will walk with us through difficult times. But they don't do that. They take it upon themselves to figure out a way to make this happen. And so verse four tells us that Abram Abram became a husband to her. She gets pregnant and immediately she has contempt. Hagar now has contempt for Sari. Now you've got two women here that are both wounded. Verse five, Sari looks at Abram and it says, this is your fault. Well, here's a good question. Was it Abram's fault? Yes, it was. Was it Sari's fault? Yes, it was. Both of them. I mean, it's unbelievable. Both their faults. But Abram, let me take it a step further with him. Abram knew better. God had come to him in Genesis chapter 15 and told him, it's not gonna be a distant relative. It is going to be the heir that you guys sire. So all he had to do, I mean, this could have been so simple. I mean, maybe I'm, my logic is, is off here, but if Abram would just stopped and said, stop with all the talk, stop with the worry, you're my woman, there she is over there, you're my woman, I'm your man, there's nobody else, that's it. At that point, don't you think maybe Sarit could have gone, Okay, but it doesn't happen. What does Abram do? Well, verse six says he wimps out. 
Look at verse six. Can I use that word wimp? Uh, it says, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. It's talking about Hagar there. He says, she's in your power to do what there is you please. Now, I gotta tell you something. Even though polygamy is wrong, and even though she technically was still the servant of, you know, of, of, of Sari, this is his wife now. So he thinks so little of her that he looks at her and he says, well, you can do whatever you want with your servant. That's fumbling in a bad way. You see, here's what, what you learn from this. You know, one act of unfaithfulness tends to lead to another. I mean, here, Abram is unfaithful to God. That leads to him being unfaithful to Sari. That leads to him being unfaithful to Hagar. Now, verse six tells us that Sarah, Sari dealt harshly with Hagar. I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, there's no definitive proof whether that was physical or verbal, emotional, whatever it was, it was bad enough for a pregnant woman to leave the safety and comfort of where she was at and to basically try to run all the way back to Egypt by herself. Not a good idea. Bad idea. The thing is about that is, you know, abuse of any time is, type of wrong, is wrong. We believe that. We want to be a healing community as a church. And we started groups here called Mending the Soul, specifically geared towards walking with people and, that are wounded and have been the victims of abuse and helping them experience healing. And I'd encourage you that if you fit into that in any possible way, stop by Info Central or go our groups online or even you know, catch up with Pam Phillips down here and she can help get you connected into a group like that. Now, the third thing here is this. It starts in verse seven and goes through verse 16, and that is the faithfulness of God. Verse seven says this. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. This is talking about Hagar. The spring on the way to Shur. Now, I want, to, I want you to get this. The angel of the Lord here is a theophany or a Christophany. Basically, what it is is it's a pre-incarnate picture. Of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus before he was born in the manger. It's a picture of him walking in the Old Testament, which he does at times. He shows up here, and it's a powerful picture because this is the first time he's actually shown up. Now, Jeff talked about last week he showed up in a dream to Abram, but here he shows up for real. And what's beautiful about this is he shows up the first time to a non-Hebrew woman in the middle of the desert that you would think probably doesn't really all that matter, but what it really shows you is every life matters. Everyone. keeps going here in verse 8 the angel begins to speak and he says and Hagar servant of Sari where have you come from and where are you going and she says I am fleeing from my mistress Sari the angel of the Lord said to her return to your mistress, mistress and submit to her the angel of the Lord also said to her I will surely multiply your offspring so that you cannot be numbered for a multitude and the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, you shall bear a son. They shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man. 
his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over and against his, all of his kinsmen. So the message here, Jesus' message to her in this case is I'm going to protect you. I will give you a son. Your offspring are gonna be way too numerous to count and she calls that place or that place in verse 11 says, the Lord heard my affliction. Which is a great reminder for us to call out to the Lord when we are wounded. Verse 13 and 14 says, And so they called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God of seeing. For he said, Truly I have seen him who looks for me. Therefore we will call the space bel And it lies between Kadesh and Bered. What I love about that is the, the Bible tells us that God not only sees everything, but it's so picturesque here because the well that she shows up in the middle of the desert there and gets confronted by Jesus is right between Kadesh which means holiness, and bered, which means judgment. This is literally the well of grace, of God's grace. It's the well of God's protection over Hagar and over Ishmael. Verses 15 and 16, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. And by, if you look at chapter 17, verse one, gives you a little time perspective here. It says, and Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham and said to him, I am the Lord God Almighty. And so this time takes place 13 more years and God's promise is still not fulfilled. Now, let me tell you why that's really important because God's not on the same timetable as you. And that's really hard for us to hear. There's important lessons here to pull out of this. Of course, the first one there, like I said, is the fact that God's timetable is so different than our timetable. The truth is, is that Abram and Sari waited for God to fulfill his promise 23 years. 23 years of pressure feeling, am I going to produce a child? Am I going to father a child? I mean, you can see the pressure that mounted up on them. The second thing, though, is we also need to be very careful who we listen to. In this case, Sari listening to the fears that she had, the societal pressure that was out there. I mean, what you realize here is you need to listen to voices that agree with God. Period. Nothing else. Because the world and society is going to tell you what they find is acceptable at the time, and that changes. But God's word is not going to change on what's acceptable. It's going to tell you truth. Again, that's one of the reasons why you need to have godly counsel in your life. You need to find a place, a group to be involved in. The third thing here that I think is so interesting is that there are real life consequences to trusting in ourselves over and above God. In this case, the wound, the division, the dislike, the hatred that all came about from the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael because somebody didn't listen to God. Don't think for a second that your plan is better than God's plan. If God is asking you to wait, he is not asking you to look for the next option. He's asking you to wait. You wait on me. 
I'm going to do something here. That's the issue. But that's not an easy one for us. If you've got a Bible, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 6. Isaiah, Jeremiah, if you're going over into more into the middle of your Bible there. Jeremiah chapter 6. The reason why I want to use this is because, you know, it was very common for Israel to struggle. I mean, this is kind of an age-old struggle for people of faith of when do you learn to wait on God and when do you just take things into your own hands and begin to try to act and you do it your way? Even if your motives seem to be right. Jeremiah chapter six, the Lord says to the people there, to the Israelites, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads, verse 16. He says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. In other words, find that place that I have told you, this is what I want you to do. And their response is at the end of verse 16, we will not walk in it. It's almost against human nature. It's almost against human nature for us to stop and release some things to the Lord and just say, I'm gonna wait on you because it's just so normal and natural for us to go, okay, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna pray that God you know, just puts his hand a blessing on it instead of waiting. And what God is asking us to do very often is just wait. Trust him. Can you do that? Would you pray with me? Father, um, this is a lesson, God, that um, all of Israel would have had a chance to see for a thousand years and longer. To see that they needed to stop and wait and not take things into their own hands, but this is very practical for us. This is how we live our lives. And very often we struggle with you just as Sari struggled with you. We struggle with how we're perceived when you're simply asking us to wait for the promise. Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you teach us what it means to trust in you, to wait in you, Lord? In Jesus' name. Listen, it's going to be impossible for you to cut out every voice that is speaking at you and in your life. The only thing that you can do is listen more clearly to Jesus. That will come if you spend some time in prayer this week. That will come if you get committed to being in God's word. And it will come if you get committed to being with a group of people that will challenge you to do what is right, to follow God's plan. Let me encourage you, Listen to the voice of God this week. Let God lead you. Don't trust in your own way. Trust in his way.